Welcome to the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast. This is episode 166. Hello, Weird Science! Hi, Dan. And this is going to be a spotlight where I continue talking about Daredevil, in particular Daredevil number 229 tonight, as we go through Frank Miller's Born Again story. Now, before we get into that, let me tell you where you can find us. We are over on Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. You follow us, we'll follow you back. We have a website where we review usually the new comics, but there's not any new comics coming out now. So we do some retro stuff, some old school stuff, kind of some catch up stuff of current things as well over at Weird Science Marvel And we also have a Patreon account where you can go and support us for all of the shows that we do, but also get a lot in return. And what I would like to tell you is. Most of the shows or a lot of the shows are are quite like what we're doing tonight. They end up with classic runs, classic books, things like that, where me, Brandon, Eric over at the DC side, you know, a mixture of all those. We go through a bunch of old stuff, some classics, some not so classics, and each one in a theme. You know, if you end up liking these old school things, if you end up liking the classics, we actually have a throwback Thursday and every Thursday we'll have a episode of some show that will be something that's a throwback, say a Marvel events podcast, which I just ended up finishing the original clone saga on that. The story where Gwen Stacy clone comes back. Peter doesn't know at the end if he's a clone or real, but he loves the Mary Janes. So he must be real, right? You end up stuff like that. Also, we end up having other things like a comic book cartoon show that I did this past week, which I ended up doing episode one of Spider-Man and his amazing friends where I went through and talked about that. But each week we end up having a two book Patreon only spotlight. Usually the picks are from the current new books. We don't have new books now. So we're going through classics just like we're doing on the regular podcast. And what we ended up talking about this past Wednesday as picked by the bad butts of the Fresh Start crew. Poop, poop. We ended up talking all new Wolverine number one and Marvel Zombies number one. And I was shocked that Brandon had never read Marvel Zombies number one. I wasn't shocked that I hadn't read it because number one, I'm lazy. And number two, I know that I didn't read it. So it'd be odd if I was shocked. But I was shocked that both of us actually had some fun with it. It was a lot more jokey than I actually thought that first issue. But I can go on and on about all the shows. We ended up having 80 episodes of different shows in just April. And I know that that is a lot. And I know that if you are on somebody's Patreon, if you actually support another podcast, don't tell me. I'll get jealous. But if you do, 
I would reckon that they don't do as much as we do. Not saying that you have to, you know, listen to everything. Size, the size is dawning. I know that sometimes size like that throws some people up, but I, I really do that. We, I think that we work a hell of a hard deal. I don't know what I'm saying. We, we work hard. 80 episodes, all that, that continues on. We try to get at least one episode up a day of different things, and we try to make them as entertaining as we can. Again, the only way that you'll really get the scope of things is to go check it out. And luckily for everyone listening, it is May 1st. If you go over now and sign up, check out whatever you want, whatever level you want, you will not be charged right away. It will be pretty much a free trial for the entire month of May You'll only get charged if you decide to carry over into June. On June 1st is when you would be charged, your first charge then. If you don't like what you hear, if you don't think it's enough for you, if whatever, you can quit before then and you'll never be charged. It's a free trial. You get to check it out. And that's what I really just want. I want people to check it out. I think that we do a lot of good work. And I think that if you do check it out, you might get hooked. That's what we're trying to do, right? Hook you. But we're going to go into this episode where we are going to be talking about Daredevil number 229. And I've really, really it's enjoyed time to get this. marble mad. Well, thank you, wrong turn. It is time to get marble mad. Uh, and I've really been enjoying this Daredevil run. I've been enjoying anything that I've read of Frank Miller over on the Daredevil side. I'll tell you right now, I am not a huge Dark Knight Returns fan. I really am not. I did like Batman Year One, though, but I didn't like uh, you know, Batman, uh, Dark Knight Returns. So when we started doing the Marvel podcast and I started to get into Daredevil from Chip Zdarsky's current run, people had already been telling me when we started doing Marvel and I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm kind of coming from the DC side. Uh, I'm poking around. I'm asking some questions to say, hey, what should I read? What you know, besides getting caught up with what's current, what are the classic things that I should read? And people would constantly say. Frank Miller's Daredevil, but I really wasn't into Daredevil, and I really wasn't into Frank Miller. I know that sounds sacrilegious to some, but I wasn't. So I kind of, all right, well, push that aside. I, I didn't even know. I wasn't even planning, really, of covering Daredevil, the current run. So, all right, whatever. I'll, I'll shake my head yes and then just go on. Well, we start doing the podcast. We, we do Daredevil, and I'm starting to fall in love with Chip Zdarsky and Matt Murdock. Daredevil. And as this is going on, I have this voice in the back of my head like, hey, dummy, they said to check out that Frank Miller Daredevil. It, it has to be better, you know, than this because it's everybody goes nuts about it. And then I'm eh, maybe, you know, I'm dealing with this current stuff. Whatever. Well, and then people start talking more like, hey, Jim, you got to read this. You got to read this. And I'm, OK, I'll do it. And I did go and read Man Without Fear. And I loved it. I loved it. And so going now, going back and doing born again uh boy I, I love it even more and it is it's it's some of the best comics that i've ever read and the things that he does in each of these issues ends up being so impressive to me by the end and these things are just like little tiny things and reading it I, I, some people may disagree some people may say oh man it's so dated I don't think it is, especially the story, especially just what's going on. Oh, it's so, so good. But it is Daredevil, number 229. I, I guess I should stop kissing its butt and start talking about it, right? It is Daredevil 229 from April 1986. It is an issue called Pariah. I think that's my new rap name, Pariah Carey. 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna sing goofy raps, kind of like whistles, just bugging. One of my favorites. You should go look that up. It's written by Frank Miller, pencils and inks by David Mazzucelli, colors by Christy Scheel, letters by Joe Rosen. And you start off the issue like you think that Matt has had it, you know, the worst that he can have. He ends up coming into this issue where he just ends up just his whole life's ruined by Kingpin. He finally decides in a delusional phone call to go and fight Kingpin in his, you know, in his current state that he's in at that point, all that. And really, Kingpin, he is pumping iron and he really he just destroys him. He ends up just destroying that. But with Kingpin, he doesn't just want to kill him because he he's destroyed his life. Now he wants to destroy his death as well. He doesn't want Matt to be remembered fondly by anyone. So he sets up a murder, sets up all these things that's going to make it look like this raving lunatic Matt Murdock, former, you know, toast of the town, has ended up going. And the last thing he ends up doing is killing a cabbie, steals his taxi, ends up running it off the pier, and then dies with liquor bottles all around him. The problem for Kingpin is he ended up escaping. He ended up living. And when finally, because Kingpin had to wait it out, they had to find the taxi. And so it took, you know, a while when they find it, there's no body. So the problem for Kingpin is there's no body and he's mad. This whole meticulous planning, all of these things that he set up, he was living on top of the world. He's like Karen Carpenter singing. I'm on top of the world. He's doing all that. Well, now that throws a fly into the ointment. Now, the worst thing that pretty much happened to Matt as we go into this issue seems to be that he lived. I mean, he is having a bad time and you go to the cover and you're like, all right, where's the, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel for our favorite guy, Matt. Oh no, Santa's attacking him. The cover is just Santa ringing the bell and, you know, Hey, you know, it's salvation army and stab Matt, which we do see what that is. That is not a cover. That is a lie. I know that sometimes you get covers that are like, oh, man, that was a dupe. You were just no, 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 that's going to happen. You just have to get to that point. Well, we start off with Matt laying in an alley saying, you know what? I never believed that your life would flash before you. There's too much life to flash before you. It's like one of those, you know, you were dying, to, but you didn't live. But he has lived. And so what is going to flash before him as he's Dying is how he became blind and then eventually, you know, daredevil. So you end up having a origin story flashback that's told pretty much through. And and it's funny, too. It's the opposite of a, you know, silent issue. It's actually a visionless issue almost the way they do the this little bit, because. Oh, Matt, he can't see. This is when he ends up saving the old man. He says, it's the last thing I ever saw. Save the old man and then the chemicals right on the face. And they're radioactive. You get, you know, the whole deal with that. And it is a quick version of the origin that then will be expanded later in the man without fear, you know, trade deal. So if you want to go go to that as well, which I'm sure most people listening to this have already, and I'm just talking preaching to the choir but he ends up going through this deal he knows that he's been hurt he's sitting there you know you have just blank panels and you do because i guess they didn't want to just have black pages and so you do end up seeing 
a strip of him currently laying in the alley as he's crying, thinking about things and all these things going on. So it does break up the deal. But I think that this whole progression and getting this origin the way that it's told, you actually have one of the most subtle ways that Frank Miller is showing you his hero gaining his superpowers. And and you really, because of the way it's spelled out, it really does stress the awfulness that had to happen for Matt to become Daredevil, the awful stuff, the the awful life that he's going to lead to become Daredevil. And as this goes on, you see through the dialogue, through little things that he says of his senses starting to kick in, he's starting to smell better, he's starting to hear more, but also he's starting to put those together to be able to figure out what's going on in the room. You have all that without any sort of visual at all until maybe the very, very end, which we do get a visual because of what happens near the end of this issue. But you even end when his dad first comes in and starts talking to him and it's loud his dad comes in and you know son can you hear me now i do think that his dad's yelling but it's also because matt's hearing is starting to get you know super hearing here and so it sounds just like crazy and the way that even the art there with you just have black panel but then you have sun and it's huge it covers the entire little strip panel there it's in this gaudy pink red that's like right in your face like it really does play out a visual of somebody who can't see which is the craziest thing to say but where his senses are going but also that his dad's yelling and things like that but as you go through you then see him start to control this. And also, he ends up, I must be in a hospital. I smell disinfectant. And I got these other smells. He starts smelling half-eaten food. He starts smelling Italian sausages, half-digested eggs, things like that, where he's starting now to smell more than just the disinfectant. He ends up being able to go above the chemical smells around him, the normal smells, and he's now smelling, you know, things that might be coming through the window or coming from the kit, whatever it is. But you get that. And instead of, you know, Frank Miller saying, and then he ended up smelling better. And, you know, unlike Jim, who stinks during this quarantine, that's a joke, but you end up with this idea that it's all told through the perspective of Matt. So we're getting our senses going as well. And it's done so well with that. But you have a big moment there when he ends up alone. It's the worst. You end up having it even by the end where his dad comes and then leaves. And he's like, it's the worst. When everybody leaves, I'm stuck in my head. I hear, I smell all this. But before that, and even then, he says, dad's anxiety paints the world red. So that's to me, he's starting to sense more than just Oh, there's my dad talking. He also could smell his dad's whiskey coming from beyond. You know, he's not even there. I smell somebody in the smell of whiskey. It's his dad, the drunk. Uh, But, you know, it's starting to build. But then he hears soft steps, a soft woman's scent. Again, smell a soft voice. And it is this voice. Why does it hurt? And it's so loud, so smelly, everything. So she's asking me, like, why are you in pain? Which in my mind, she comes there, she's there and she's watching him and he's wincing at times where, okay, is this, is he hurt? Is he hurting because of an injury here or what? But no, he says so loud, so smelly, everything. So his senses kicking in. And this is something that he's trying to adjust to. He's trying to work through, 
but it is hitting him probably like an ice pick to the to the head. She says, I see. She breathes. Down the hall, the coughing subsides. When she speaks again, it's a gentle whisper, and she's trying to calm him down. But it's also in my mind, too, that he is being able to focus on her now. Now that she's there, she ends up talking. She's been there a bit. He can focus right on her, something again that Matt does now, you know, with ease. Uh, and then says she talks with a whisper, so somebody very nice. And this may not be a bad thing, what you could do with it. And then Matt's like, do do with it? Like, he doesn't understand. She says, think of it as a blessing, Matt. It's yours, yours. And it's our secret. Don't tell anyone. Promise me now. And when you're reading this, okay, well, that's that's weird. You know, and you, you, if you're back in the day, especially reading this, you're like, okay, this here. It's so big what, what's going on now because just as a spoiler, that's his mother. His mother is a nun and she has come. She knows what he's going through and she's telling him, you can use this, but don't tell anybody about it. It's our secret. We'll keep the secret. He does want to know who it is. Who are you? And promise me, she says again, as he like reaches up and she has the cross dangling. He feels the cross. So again, the religiousness that's been in the book, all that stuff, it all starts you know coming into play where it's weird to say that while matt's there and he's just become blind and dealing with it it's like light bulbs are going off all over for the reader of all these connections and things like that uh then his dad comes in and his dad comes sits down hasn't said anything and you're gonna get this deal where matt realizes and says it's okay dad i'm awake and how would his dad know you know i guess Uh, but he's like oh okay well you know how'd you know i was here i i could hear you a mile off And his dad's there to tell him, like, I'm sorry, you're going to be blind. Matt knows. He says, they ended up taking off the gauze before, and there's no way that I'm in a hospital that never has lights. I've realized this. I'm trying to work through it. And you do get that deal. Well, it, it was radioactive. We don't know what it is. The company, again, more in the man without fear. When you get to that, that'll be kind of dug into a little more and to see that Matt's dad's, you know, ill reputation kind of causes them not to be able to get compensation as well. But yeah, he's like, We're, you're taking it very well, son. And so you see all up until the time where his mom comes and she does kiss him on the forehead too, as she leaves all up until then, he has been talking about it's the worst my, my blood's on fire, my head, this, well, Once she comes, he's calming down. He's coming down now, and he has a purpose. He has something. He has somebody that is looking out for him, somebody that was kind to him, things like that, which is going to serve him well in this issue because, unfortunately, then you see him laying there in the alley with two other guys, two other bums there, homeless guys. I shouldn't say bums. They're there. And he's talking and says, you know, you continue. Yeah, I kept my secret from dad, even from dad. I found a teacher that would help me master these senses my dad was murdered i became daredevil i fight crime other things happen a home a career they don't matter now because kingpin took my life away kingpin ended up attacking my identity ended up destroying my life i attacked him and he killed me and then you're like oh man that stinks so he's there he is homeless he is shivering in this alley looks like his pants he's got the plumber's crack you don't want that especially in a dirty alley like that somebody's gonna start playing games with you but we go off to glory and foggy and again you're gonna get these scenes with glory and foggy and they are placed in my mind in a very particular pattern 
when Matt is having the worst of times, it was the worst of times, it was the best of times, because the worst of times, Matt, best of times, Foggy and Glory, where they are having the time of their lives. They are having a Christmas where they are with somebody that they're falling in love with, somebody that used to be Matt's girlfriend and Foggy is best friend. So while Matt is just, he's dying. He, he is a homeless guy dying from wounds and he had to get himself out of a cab that was in the, and they're just loving life. And without a care, it seems for Matt, and that comes into play occasionally as you go because they're there walking, uh, you know, through a crowd, New York. You have the tree in the background, you know, everything's going on here. And a guy comes and ends up disturbing their nice deal, their nice Christmas shopping by stealing or trying to steal Glory's purse. Well, she says, ye ain't going to ye that ye. She says it again a million times. Uh, this guy tries to get away. Glory's pretty tough. I'll I'll tell you, if she was here in the room, I wouldn't be making fun of her. She'd probably kill me. But Foggy ends up getting knocked over. And I thought it was one of those where Foggy wasn't going to react and he's going to sit there crying in the fetal position. And then Glory would be like, ye ain't a man. Ye get out of here. But that's not the case because what he ends up doing as Glory and this guy who has a knife too and is fighting Glory where she's trying to get her purse back presents all scattered around he ends up luckily he just bought a, a bowling ball for his buddy pork chop peterson and he ends up throwing the bowling ball you know two hands over the head throws the bowling ball into this purse snatcher it hits him right in the face i think he died he runs away i think that's his ghost there's no way i think foggy's a murderer uh, you end up where the bowling ball just has to crush him there's this guy's going to be so afraid of bowling balls and bowling alleys for forever there's no way he's not one of the pin pals that's for sure but he runs away and now in this scene where you end up having a bad thing happen to foggy and glory Glory is upset because people are going off just their lives again. They are walking away. They're just looking, oh, well, let's go. You know, that guy got away, whatever. You know, he was, you know, a bad guy, but he got him with the bowling ball, and I got other things to do. Glory's mad and starts saying, will, will ye look at all these people? They don't care a bit, do ye? Do ye care a bit? She's yelling. Foggy's, get, Foggy's getting embarrassed. Let's go, Glory. But just the idea that her and Foggy are going, oh, let's get our presents. Oh, don't forget that pork chop Peterson. You got to get that bowling ball. Oh, my. Let's do this. Oh, and, and the nerve of her to say then, they don't care a bit when they are pretty much leaving Matt behind. They aren't looking for Matt. They aren't out, you know, trying to find him to help him. They have moved on, just like these people have moved on from this little scene that happening that they, you know, you hypocrite. I get so mad when I read that. But you end up going and jumping through a bunch of stories in this issue. You're going to deal with Matt, obviously. We've just dealt with Foggy and Glory. We are going to go south of the border Mexico way in a little bit to deal with Karen Page. But another thing that was set up going into this issue was Ben Urich, who's off, you know, pretty much snooping around trying to get a story to clear Matt's name. He is Matt's friend. Again, this is somebody who is not going to leave Matt behind in, in, a, in a way. He, he wants to clear his name. He goes, he thinks that Kingpin has been involved in all this. He says a couple times, Matt's the straightest guy I ever met. There's no way 
that he did anything that's been said. I'm going to figure this out. And pretty much the only one he can go to, the only kind of key witness that he can get would be the detective, Manalise, who is there with his son in the hospital. And we do know for a fact when Matt as Daredevil went to Manalise and found out that what ended up happening is this 25-year veteran from the police force, decorated, a guy who did nothing wrong, ended up you know, not even taking a penny from somebody, He's pretty much framed. He he went and under oath framed Matt. He ended up making up stuff. Well, told to make up stuff. And because he ended up needing some treatment, a specialized treatment for his son who is sick. And it, again, you're reading this. And this is one of those things. If you have kids and especially the age of this kid, he looks like he's like 13. And it's heartbreaking to think that a 13 year old is going to die. Their life hasn't even started. And it does show a guy with that reputation, 25 years in the force. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. His son is going to die. He will do anything. Kingpin is that mentally he's not the bad guy. The bad guy is Kingpin who would use that to get him to do something bad, to get a guy who would pretty much and has made a deal with the devil it just it, it's it's sickening it really is and it really just it makes you just hate kingpin even more uh and so you end up having ben Yurik. he might be able to get something from manalise who if he does end up telling ben and things go down yeah his life's going to be in danger number one but his career you know is is going to be jaded now it's it's going to be sullied by his own admission trying to figure all these things out so right away he's not going to do anything his son is in the hospital still he's getting that treatment but there's been complications and so you end up needing the uh, emergency surgery that night you ben finds this out he's talking he's trying to get you know i know something happened man at least i know that you were kind of you know the screws were tightened on you to get this treatment all these things and man at least he's not going to talk uh ben ends up and it's funny too the way that this nurse is introduced he lights up a cigarette now she is in the background you see her just sitting there she's a bulldog of a woman she is a husky woman who does not like smoking in the room which you shouldn't. I mean, what well, Ben, I guess he's nervous, but he, he's lighting up. There's this kid right there who, who needs emergency, emergency surgery. There's Ben lighting up a cigarette, but she's like, no smoking in here. She looks up from a magazine. He's like, okay. And, and in a, a good progression is where you see Ben then putting it out with his shoe on the bottom of his shoe so he can say, but Manalise is not going to say anything. His kid is, you know, and also Ben can't push too much this poor guy his son is gonna have emergency surgery in a couple hours so this guy's you know thoughts are other places anyway but ben it looks like he's you know hit a brick wall with with his whole investigation uh and then we go down mexico way we go and see karen page who's hit a ton of brick walls uh, and and also falling out of a couple trees it looks like she is worse for wear she needs more junk she needs more to the smack and she's going to do anything to get it. And the problem is she can't really do that much to get it because she has hitmen after her. So you have a junkie who is known. You have her being a Hollywood then porn actress there after her. She's trying to get some money for her next fix. And she ends up robbing a poor blind guy, this blind beggar. And she even says, boy, 
this is the second blind guy I'm going to screw over. I mean, really, it's kind of synergy here. And she ends up dipping into the till. This guy has this vase where he's begging. Blind guy, you have the vase, you put the money in. This blind guy, kind of like Matt, he's got some heightened senses. He knows when somebody's dipping into the cookie jar. He grabs her arm. She uses, and it's like insult to injury. She grabs the vase that has all the money, smashes him over the head. Might kill him. He, He doesn't get up. I'll tell you that. And then when he's laying there in a heap, now she is just also he's missing a leg, by the way. It looks like he's a blind guy with missing like Karen. You have you are going lower than low. Now she's picking up the change and street money now. I mean, it's it's anybody's. This is what my wife says. If you drop money in the house anyway, it's floor money. Not your money that you drop. Now it's floor money and it's up for grabs. So don't drop money when you're at my house. I'll tell you that. But yeah, she's she's going off. She's grabbing money. She's going to go off to try to get her smack. In the meantime, you see these hitmen are on the trail. They see this guy. He ain't getting up. And they're like, oh, you know, that way they go off there to maybe find Karen. You go back to New York City. Matt's jaywalking and it serves him right i mean jaywalking in new york city he gets hit by a car he's trying to cross the street he gets hit viciously and you're gonna also see through matt just the just awfulness of humanity especially in the next bunch of pages because the people who end up hitting him they kind of slow down slightly and then hey he looks bad should we go back no we don't need that grief and then drives away and again like i said with Manalis, when I, you know, if you have kids, don't tell me that you wouldn't do something to save your son or daughter. You're going to do that. And, you know, and also, there are people out there that would not stop for Matt after they hit him. There are a lot of people and they're listening right now, you know, and I'm not judging anybody. But, yeah, th- this happens. This is not, you know, f- you know, out of this world, you know, nonsense. This stuff happens. But, again, it's showing Matt now. At his worst, he was in the alley. He gets out of the alley, starts struggling. Now he's hit by a car. He says later it kind of pops his ribs and all this stuff like a wishbone. And when he says that, it made me almost get ill. And then we go to Foggy and Glory having the time of their lives. Again, this juxtaposition between these two situations here. It is just it's jarring where you end up having now Foggy, who's talking on the phone to his mom and even mentions Matt, but mentions Matt as he's more excited to mention that he's found a gal who's pretty nice. And Glory's there listening, you know, smiling where he says to his mom, well, it's Matt, you know, my partner, at least he used to be my partner. He's in a lot of trouble. It's kind of hard to explain. But as long as there's a chance I might hear from him. uh, Yeah, I'm glad you understand, mom. It seems like he's using that as an excuse to not visit his mom. I got to stay here by the phone and, and, you know, go out and have the time of my life and not really look into where Matt is. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, You see the humanity side of things kick in again where you go and there's these two guys that are pretty much knocked out and are stripping a Salvation Army Santa. The one guy who seems to be the head Turk. Is like you just get we're going to get you this uniform. He's already got a, a Santa outfit on. So obviously he's already beaten up somebody else and says, we'll get this. Then we'll go downtown. We'll go uptown. Actually, we'll go to where the rich people are. And man, we're going to we're going to fleece them. They're just going to give us money because that'll make them feel better because they're rich. And we're not, you know, all these things about you are 
going you're robbing and and beating up a guy who does seem to be there for like a salvation army for charity and you're going to do that and you're going to put on the outfit so that you can steal money matt shows up then and he says just take it off and this is one of the moments where it's like all right matt i i think he's had enough i think that you know this whole thing, it's not Daredevil versus Kingpin, uh, you know, right now. It's not Daredevil, you know, versus uh, Owlsley. This is Daredevil against awful pieces of crap. And he says these guys take it off. This, it's Christmas time. And, you know, uh, this guy, though, the Santa Turk who's already dressed in the Santa deal, which is the thing from the cover, as I said, he needs some trash talking lessons and maybe talk to Kevin Garnett, maybe Larry Bird, you know, because take it off. This guy returns with his retort is take your face off, man, as he's, you know, with the knife. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> That's pretty gruesome. Uh, the other guy, it seems like a younger kid with Turk who's getting that other suit on. It's like, oh, man, you know, he's just a bum. Look, he's already been beaten up. And I wish the art showed a little more of just how bad Matt is. But that's not enough for Turk, because as this kid's like, here, get yourself a bottle, buddy, and starts giving him money, which it's crazy that that's how bad Matt looks, that these robbers who want to get some money, they're going to give it to him. He says, take it off again. Turk goes from zero to 60 in a sentence. He stabs Matt right in the chest. I mean, what, what, take it off and he stabs him. It's one of the worst scenes with a Santa Claus since my worst scene is in trading places where, where you end up and it's the worst you end up. And, and this is something that a lot of people are probably just going to be like, why does this bother? But when Dan Aykroyd in trading places is dressed as Santa and he's eating that, that steak, that ham steak through that awful grungy, smelly beard, the fake beard he has because he's dressed as Santa and there's the hair all. Oh, that's the worst scene ever with Santa. And don't tell me like horror movies. I'm telling you, that ham steak scene, the worst. But yeah, now Matt's stabbed. He's been stabbed in the chest because he didn't want these guys to, to steal a Santa outfit and steal. Yeah, so. You go back to Ben Urich and Manalise, and unfortunately, his son did not make it. His son did not make it through that surgery. He has died. Uh, and in a in a really, I think, a smart deal of the narration, you ended up having Ben Urich say, Nick's son dies at 12.03, and it's Christmas, which, again, makes it so bad. He died 12.03 Christmas morning. If you want me to describe the way that makes me feel, you're a ghoul. Okay. I got it, but... He goes and then starts talking to Manalise. So, you know, there's nothing but go home now. This is all over. And Manalise, at this point, you're going to get the idea of, well, I made the deal with the devil. It didn't work out. And now it's all come flooding in. My son's dead. I ended up ruining a man's life for this. And my son didn't even live. He's not necessarily blaming anybody for that except himself saying, but again, I tried. It didn't work. But now I got to deal with my guilt, my repercussions, all of this that I ended up doing as Ben is talking to him. And they're going and you see that this nurse, this bulldog, it looks like Large Marge from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Large Marge sent you. Uh, she has a very particular interest in Ben 
and, and old Nick there because as they're going, she is looking a couple times. They go outside to talk as Matt's bleeding out and as Karen down in Mexico way is being courted by a guy who is a big fan. He says, you know what big fan is? Not the Hollywood movies, the pornos. And he's like, I'm a huge fan. And she's like, listen, I'll do whatever it takes. I need something. And he's like, yeah, yeah, the smack. I'll get you that. No, no, no. I, I also need a ride. I need a ride up to New York way. And he's like, oh, you know what? I'm actually doing deliveries. I'm going to be going there as well. You know, I wouldn't mind the company. And yes, it's creepy. He ends up saying, like I said, I'm a real fan as he's rubbing her cheek. She's like, whatever it takes. Again, she wants some smack as well. Now, this is where this guy in, in a, a couple panels goes from the creepiest guy who you're like, what a piece of crap. He's going to kill her. He's got, oh, no, she's to being kind of a hero. He's still a creep. He's still very creepy, but he is a hero because this is where the hitmen catch up with Karen. And they're in a very fancy restaurant. So I, I, it looks at it at least. I mean, I, these people are non judgmental down Mexico way. I mean, she's there. She looks terrible. <laughs> but hey, they don't mind. They're there. They're having their food. But these hitmen show up and like, the senorita comes with us. Well, we know this guy's a big fan. So obviously, if you're a big fan of a porno star that you're about to get junk for and then drive up to New York, you'd obviously have a shotgun positioned under the table and then shoot these assassins. Ends up killing both of these guys with a shotgun. I, I, I wonder where when they went in, usually a restaurant has a coat check. I, I guess they didn't have the shotgun check going in. Uh, and maybe when you go to this restaurant, I don't know what restaurant it is. It's one of those where when you have a movie where you go in and like, you must have a coat and tie, sir. And then they give him the coat and tie. They go in and obviously this uh, you must have some sort of firearm, sir. Oh, I, I didn't bring my gun. I'm sorry. Well, will this shotgun do? Yes, it will. He goes and then he kills the assassin. So they're going to end up going up Mexico to New York, eh, whatever it takes. Karen says, and we see by the end, yes, whatever it takes. He says, too, you better be worth this. He's a big fan. Well, Matt, again, is just, he's been stabbed. I, I could go on and on about the just the troubles and the woes that he has. He's going now delusional, probably losing a lot of blood. He's dying. He ends up just walking. In my mind, too, he's going to Hell's Kitchen where he says, you know, Hell's Kitchen, this is where I come from. I smell it. Like now that he realizes in Hell's Kitchen, maybe he just wants to die where where he was born, where he grew up. So he's in Hell's Kitchen. He goes to find his house and his house is demolished. I have no home. He has no home. And so he remains homeless. But then he thinks, okay, I, I can go to the one last place. There's only one other place I can go. That's my dad's gym that he went to. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go. And even with that, you get a little bit of a flashback deal of, you know, hey, I used to sneak here after I was blind. My dad didn't know. I promised him I wouldn't do it. I, you know, all that. But he still has one promise that he kept. And that will play out. Uh, yeah, you go to Ben Urich then and find that that old that that nurse, the, the old large Marge, she's working for Kingpin. So when they go outside and Manalise is finally like, yeah, you know what? I, I think it was Kingpin. He he didn't know, and Kingpin was smart enough, you know, and we saw that. He's smart enough to not let anybody know 
that he's involved. So if you're going to be paid off by Kingpin, there's three guys before that it's going to go through before it gets to you. The, the problem here, and it's not a problem for very long, but the problem here is Manley's he's a detective. So he would be able to figure out. He probably has thought about this and has figured it out that it has to be Kingpin. He does tell that to Ben, just as large Marge, the nurse who we find out later, her name's Lois. She comes and pretty much beats the crap out of Ben. She just shows up. Ben's smoking. He's like, what? You're coming out here to yell at me for the smoking? But boom, right in the chops, he gets knocked down and ends up actually punching Manalise. I'm sorry. And then grabs Ben and then twists his arm and then breaks all his fingers because she says, my my employer, who we know is Kingpin, you're causing him discomfort here. And if you were a publisher, eh, we'd probably just burn the building down, ruin the presses. But you're not. You're a writer. Seems kind of silly to go and ruin your typewriter. So we're just going to break your fingers. And every time the words Matt Murdock go past your lips, we're going to come back and break them again. And and that's that. So take that. And he ends up falling down. And again, I said, and I ended up messing. She ended up punching out Manalee. So he's down. He can't help out. She breaks Ben's fingers. And then as Ben's laying there, you only see him. And he says, the worst part is I didn't pass out. I didn't pass out from the pain. I didn't get knocked out. Now I have to watch what she does to Nick, which she ends up beating him to death. Nick is dead. Again, Kingpin does not end up having loose ends. So he is dead now. And you have Matt back at the gym and in, in a weird deal where he is just worse for wear. We, we've talked about this over and over. Stab, just ribs pop like a wishbone, which makes me ill. All of these things. And he goes into the gym and then he's reliving like, hey, the glory days. I'm going to sit here and punch the heavy bag. I actually thought that that was a little too much. There's no way, except he's in shock. He's going to die. So, hey, why not go through a couple rounds with the old heavy bag? He starts punching it and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, I on my mother's grave, you know, I made a promise. The only joy I had, I could never share it. And he's talking about fighting training because he said to his dad, I'll never do that. I promise on mom's grave. We see mom's not dead because she is not. And she's there because he ends up grabbing the heavy bag and in a progression of Things going down here, so good. Such a powerful progression where Matt then, he's like, I'm only a fighter, but he hits the bag and he's dying. He grabs the bag then to keep himself up and falls down. Then we go and see Karen with her biggest fan. She has gotten some smack. We end up seeing the hose. We end up seeing the needle. She is going off into la-la land as this guy is caressing and kissing her whatever it takes you end up then seeing matt's mom the nun still a nun a little older now come and she has the cross and just says matt and then kind of gets him and holds him there as just blood everywhere so we have to see what happens there and then the final page where you get the deal now this is the thing this was all set up by kingpin we know this we also had a lot of progression of kingpin convincing himself that Matt didn't mean anything. Daredevil was a bunch of bullcrap, a little fly at a picnic, you know, nothing big, just a nuisance now and again. Well, the thing is, though, now Matt being alive and not succumbing to this grand scheme of Kingpin, now he's more. Now he is 
pissing off Kingpin to all, and all he can think of is there was no corpse. This is where he just goes, and now he's working on. There's never leg day though for Kingpin. I want to see where they go to him, and he, you know, he's doing leg work or he's on a treadmill, maybe. I mean, the guy he loves the lats and the biceps curls for girls. He's got the shoulders. Do some cardio. You're still a fat slob, Kingpin. I said it, right? And he starts talking like, you know, what is it about Murdoch? He was a minor concern, a promising talent to be observed and cataloged and even occasionally flattered. And perhaps one day to be turned to the Kingpin's way. And Kingpin did say that. When Foggy ended up getting Matt no jail time, you ended up having Kimpin Man, I got a Foggy Nelson. Let me get that. He's pretty good. And then as the scheme and all that fun that Kimpin, you know, eventually, maybe I'll even hire Matt Murdock. Like, I'll pick him up. I'll be the one to pick him up and make him, you know, get back to. Well, he's doing that now because he is making his own villain. This is almost like a Batman move where you had Daredevil. And whether or not you believe Kingpin of saying, He was just a minor concern, a nuisance. Well, you're going to see, and what he's doing now is he is pretty much making Daredevil come back times 20. He almost, it's like, if you go back in time and kill Hitler, you're going to get super Hitler. You're going to get super Daredevil. And he's starting to realize this. And he says in a a really cool way, uh, he was always more than this. Matt was always more than this. Now he is much more than this. He always was. And I have, I've shown him that a man without hope is a man without fear. And so he doesn't know, like at this point, he obviously doesn't know that Matt is about to die in his dad's old gym, things like that. All he can think of is he's out there somewhere and he's going to come back stronger. He's going to get rise up from this. And you get to, he's, you know, Kingpin's working out. He wants round two. He better be ready. But yeah, he ends up, Uh, You know, almost fearing the deal himself, where he's the man with fear of what he has created. And we'll see what goes on as all of these stories, Karen, Foggy, Glory, Ben, Matt, Kingpin, all start to converge as we go through uh, this. So, yeah, it's it's great. It it really is. I mean, I I can't say it enough. I, I will. I'll keep saying it. I'll keep saying it over and over and over. It is awesome. And if you want to ever read a story where uh, you have, and I don't want to start throwing shade or whatever, but a lot of people would yell at me about the Tom King Batman run. And, oh, it's it shows, you know, a human Batman, a human. This is showing a guy whose life is ruined and he's trying desperately just to survive, let alone, you know, do his daredeviling. Uh, and then once we build it back up, it, it is awesome. It's a blueprint to a lot of stories, just like a lot of times Frank Miller in the Man Without Fear or even a Batman Year One is a blueprint for that sort of thing as well. Uh, he He's a master. He really is. And I'm very, very impressed. I'm very, very glad that I jumped into this. So, yeah, 10 out of 10. I, I can't give it anything less. Classic. It is. But that's it for this episode. Thank you. When you next hear my voice, if you listen to all of our shows, you will probably hear me talking a little catch up for the X-Men stuff. As we get towards the new books, I want to get that done. So we're going to have a bunch of shows each week as we have. We'll continue that even when the new books come. 
because I like talking. I like talking about this sort of thing. Again, if you enjoy this, I think that that is kind of a ticket to maybe going and checking out the Patreon, not just to support us for these podcasts, but to get a lot of podcasts that are very similar to this. Uh, Some are a little more lighthearted. Some have, you know, different themes or whatever, but they are a lot of things like this. Single issues being talked about in length, going through, adding some jokes now and again that usually don't hit, but hey, you know, we try. Uh, But yeah, we also have a Twitter account. Now it's the Patreons, patreon.com slash weird science. I say a ton. It'll be in the show notes as well, as well as links to some of the shows. So you can even go to the show notes and say, oh, they did that this week and that this week and kind of get the gist. But again, if you go, you won't be charged right away. You can listen the whole month, ton of shows, and then hopefully you'll stick around into June. But if you don't, you'll never be charged. Uh, And we also have like I say at the beginning, a Twitter account, WS Marvel Comics, where we follow you if you follow us, all of that. And we have a website, weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com, where we do a bunch of things. So check out all those things. Thank you for bearing with me through this podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it enough. And I'll talk to you later.